Hi, this is Dr. Jake Felice, and today we'll be mapping the endocannabinoid system on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important, not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Jake Felice. Dr. Jake Felice, ND, LMP, is an author, clinician, educator, and consultant whose vision is to advance the science and practical application of natural medicines for medical and recreational markets around the world. Dr. Felice provides world-class education experiences by speaking authentically about hemp and cannabis. He consults with healthcare providers and the general public. His Category 1 CME courses for doctors, nurses, and pharmacists has now been translated into four languages. Dr. Jake, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. It's so great to be here, Andrea. Thank you. I'm excited about this conversation. We've actually had a few episodes exploring medical marijuana and touched on the endocannabinoid system, but I'm hoping we can have a deep dive into the physiology and biological mechanisms with you. So when we say the endocannabinoid system, what are we actually talking about? That's a great question. The endocannabinoid system is a 600 million year old receptor system. It has been biologically hardwired into the majority of animal life forms for a long, long time. What a lot of folks probably don't know about it is that in terms of receptors in our nervous system, it is the most dense of any receptor system. So there are more cannabinoid receptors in our nervous system, for example, than there are opiate receptors or acetylcholine receptors or serotonin receptors. It's a massive, massive receptor system. And one thing that is unique about it is that it is highly variable in terms of numbers of receptors as well as endogenous ligands that are being produced. So unlike most receptor systems, which tend to have fairly stable numbers, the endocannabinoid system is extremely dynamic. That is because its main role is as a sentinel system from an evolutionary perspective As single cells were starting to form bodies, that's when the endocannabinoid system really came into play biologically, and it helped biology solve a number of problems that have to do with moving from a single-celled organism in the primordial sea to multicellular organisms with bodies. So, for example, bodies need an embryologic program to go from when the sperm and the egg meet 
all the way through development through stem cells and the formation of the body. So it is extremely important for that. Cells also, as bodies were being formed, needed to deal with how do we get nutrition far from the source to the appropriate area. And the endocannabinoid system is involved in all aspects of feeding, for example, which is one of its main roles clinically. Additionally, as life forms were developing, there needed to be internal sensing mechanisms as well as mechanisms to sense the external environment so that if there were, was damage or injury to cells, there is a response process. So the endocannabinoid system does all of that, which is one of the reasons why people wonder, how does it do so many different things? How can cannabis affect so many different systems? One of the reasons is because it is operating on this ancient biologic system that is largely designed specifically for those purposes. Mm, yeah, so much wisdom in there and that deep understanding of the receptors and how it's part of the body's natural communication system between cells, that there's neurotransmission happening, that there's nutrition happening, that there's metabolic processes being impacted, if I have that correctly. That's correct, as well as hormonal cascade oxidative stress cascade. It's sensing environmental inputs. It's hugely involved in inflammation and immune functioning, all aspects of feeding. When, If we take a sperm and an egg that are about to meet to cause fertilization and we block the endocannabinoid system, fertilization does not occur. Likewise, after the sperm and the egg have met, in the human body, it travels down the fallopian tubes to the uterus. If the endocannabinoid system is blocked, that little ball of cells that could potentially become a human does not establish blood supply in the uterus. So it is intimately involved in that aspect. And likewise, when the baby is born, the mother's milk contains endocannabinoid molecules that are necessary for feeding. And we know from mice studies, for example, that if we block the endocannabinoid system at birth, the little pups, the mice, are unable to develop the proper coordination for suckling. So it is just a supremely integrated system. It's really fascinating to just go back. I was going to ask you, and you kind of spoke into that, what are some of the antecedents or triggers that might impact the functioning of the receptors or the system? And you mentioned like breast milk. I'm sure we're not fortifying our formulas with cannabinoids, right? So there we have that. But what else could we be born with that impacts the system? Well, I think that that's a very interesting question. And, you know, my mom was a pediatric nurse. And, and when I was a baby, I was one of the first formula kids. And I, I wonder what I missed in the mix there. I know that formulas have gotten better and better. What's really interesting about the endocannabinoid system, it's kind of like the internet of the body. It is really operating between the water interface of the interstitium and cells. For example, a lot of folks may remember from anatomy and physiology, those practitioners, the synaptic cleft between nerves is actually interstitial space. So it's operating there. And the reason, one of the reasons I call it the internet of the body is that if our internet is bad, for example, you and I are talking on an internet platform now, Andrea, and we're having good communication, but if the signal goes weak, static occurs. 
Likewise, in uh, the body with the endocannabinoid system, there can be static on the negative side. Things like alcohol and pesticides will interfere with endocannabinoid signaling. That's on the negative side. But on the positive side, that's what I think is really cool. That involves things that have nutritional elements, such as omega-3 essential fatty acids will actually help tonify and fortify the endocannabinoid system. Exercise does this. We have studies on acupuncture showing benefits from this. Chiropractic and osteopathic type physical manipulation enhances the endocannabinoid system. There's even a study in women where singing actually tonifies this system. So it is responsive to a lot of the things that we classically think of as good for us and responds positively to that. And likewise, for things that we typically think of as maybe not so healthy, I mentioned alcohol, uh, pesticides, on the flip side. So as clinicians, it can be a really helpful tool for us to help do patient education. Many folks really respond well to it that way. And when you say respond well to it, you mean supporting the system with cannabinoids. That is one option, and I think that the support with cannabinoids is very effective when there are major perturbations. I don't think cannabis or cannabinoids are really good long-term, constantly utilized for their efficacy. Sometimes there's a role for that. But also, just good diet, health, and lifestyle choices do tend to support this system. So teaching folks about exercise, teaching folks about good nutrition, teaching good mental, emotional aspects, all of these areas impact the system. I love that. So you're helping us to understand that there's different ways to impact the system. And I realize I'm putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable when I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> cannabinoids, because <laughs> I'm used to saying cannabis. But what we're looking at is a communication system that impacts so much of what I call the soup, the central part of the matrix. The immune system, as you said, the reproductive organs, the digestive system, liver, lungs, brain, right? Like there's so much. Absolutely. And we know from studies, for example, with relatively hard to treat or nebulous syndromes like migraine headache, for example, IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, that when we look at patients who have these conditions, the endocannabinoids, in these cases, they were measured through uh, cerebrospinal fluid, are decreased. I think of cannabis as a wonderful tool to affect this system, but it is one of many tools and inputs that can be utilized. And we are just at the very beginning of this now. For example, turmeric. Turmeric lands on CB2 receptors. CB2 receptors are one of two to three, depending on how you discuss it, major cannabinoid receptors largely involved with inflammatory cascades. CBD lands on a whole host, which is found in hemp cannabis products. It does not cause a head high. But it lands on, for example, adenosine receptors, which is what caffeine works on. TRP-V1, TRP-V1 is how I call it, and a whole host of the TRP-V receptors for immune and inflammatory cascades. And the list goes on and on. So some people will say, oh, and I think there's room for skepticism because we're at the beginning of this, but people will say it just sounds like a magic bullet. And it's more like a synergistic shotgun that is potentially hitting dozens of receptor systems at the same time. 
Yeah, that makes so much sense, right? That we can have a myriad effects with different interventions and we're actually activating the receptor system in the body. Can you go into that CB1, CB2 a little bit more and answer what you were going to say earlier as well? This is a generalization, Andrea, but CB1 receptors are typically occurring between neurons and CB2 receptors are typically occurring in interstitial space, which includes plasma and involved in immune and inflammatory regulations. What's very interesting about CB1 receptors in the nervous system is that they work retroactively. So what that means is that the classic understanding of physiology is that neural information goes from axons to dendrite. Typically, when we learn physiology, thought of as a universal, one-directional flow of nerve transmission. The endocannabinoid system via CB1 receptors, the body's ligands are called endocannabinoids, and they're made and created on demand from the distal neuron, which then feed back to the proximal neuron to slow down nerve impulses. This can be effective in seizure disorders where there's hyperactivity and an electrical storm happening in the brain. It can also be effective in turning down pain signaling, nociceptive signals. So that's the, on the CB1 side. On the CB2 side, all of the immune cells contain receptors for CB2. And depending on the nature of the inflammatory balance, those receptors on those individual immune cells will either be upregulated or downregulated. The body is dealing with biologic information in a dynamic mode with endocannabinoid system. Not only are the ligands being upregulated and downregulated, created on demand, but also the receptors can vary as much as a hundredfold in population depending on what's going on at any one given time in any one tissue or organ system. So it becomes fascinatingly complex when you get down to the details, but if you pull the nose of the plane up, it's really functioning for those basic evolutionary purposes of feeding, helping and controlling tissue repair, and also embryologic development. And I do think I would be doing the guests a disservice if I didn't really mention and emphasize that the cannabinoid therapy is not all about THC, which is the psychoactive part of cannabis. There are dozens of other cannabinoids, every single one of which has been measured has beneficial effects and low toxicity. So when you say dozens of others, do you mean CBD products? CBD would be one of those, CBN, cannabinol, CBG, cannabigerol. There's dozens of them. Got it. Okay. So earlier you mentioned measuring, and I know that's something our audience really <laughs> likes to know about. Is that happening clinically, that people are measuring? It is hard to measure in vivo. We can do it a lot with animal studies. A lot of the times the animals have to be sacrificed to do so, and I know there's ethical issues with that. We are working on it. Folks are working on it. I'm not personally working on it. And right now it's very challenging. Uh, cerebrospinal fluid is one of the better ways, but we understand these dynamics from a lot of animal and tissue studies as well as cell studies. And when we are addressing the support of the system, I wanted to ask you about outcomes, but it seems like it's kind of everything. But how would you speak about outcomes? 
When I think of the utilization of cannabis, just clinically, I only really think of three things. I think of pain, and we have a lot of good data on pain. It's putatively recognized as effective for pain. And it also, there's tons of correlative studies showing decreases in other pain medications. So pain is one area. Anxiety is another, and sleep is another. So if someone has a sick patient with any major chronic condition, they likely will have one of those three things going on, anxiety, sleep, or pain, or all of the above. And study after study after study with cannabis and cannabinoids, the ones that look and examine quality of life, they will frequently show clinical benefit, but the vast majority of studies that also measure quality of life show an increase in quality of life. So as a clinician, the thought process that I will go through is, do they have one of those three major conditions? Are they part of the absolute or relatively contraindicated class of patients? So heart disease patients, caution needs to be warranted, immune deficiencies, patients on immunosuppressive drugs. Because it's the endocannabinoid system is so involved in embryologic development, It's a challenge to use with kids, but there are rationales to do that, specifically CBD and seizure disorders, et cetera. But if I have a patient that is having a lot of trouble and has sleep issue, anxiety issue, or pain issue, I feel very comfortable about cannabinoids. They actually work very well together with opiates. It's not an either or an or. We could talk about that if you like. And so clinically, it's very easy to measure subjective aspects of pain. You ask the patient. Anxiety, again, you ask the patient. Sleep, you ask the patient. And of course, you can refer uh, for sleep studies, et cetera. But in general, I think of the cannabinoids as helping those particular conditions And then generally can be supportive of other areas. I don't necessarily, with the exception of those contraindicated groups, I typically don't worry about it and I frequently find a benefit. So that's an excellent question. I think that it's still far too early for us to be saying, you know, cannabis cures cancer. Certainly we can't say that, but we can say that it has done so in laboratory animals. But what we also can say with cannabis and cancer is that it helps with the symptom picture, and uh, there is some indication that it actually can extend, in certain cancers, longevity and also improve quality of life. We can't be saying it cures cancer, that's not appropriate, but certainly it can be helpful for a lot of folks with a lot of different chronic diseases. So final question, Dr. Jake, you mentioned earlier, you didn't want to do a disservice by saying that when we're talking about the system that we're talking about THC, is there anything else as a final point? There's so much we have to learn from you, but one final point that you feel like as clinicians we're overstepping or we're not looking at appropriately when it comes to the endocannabinoid system. I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about entourage, which are the combination of the different molecules. And typically the way entourage works is is it can be therapeutically and clinically measured. So on a therapeutic side, we can demonstrate it. But on a pharmacologic side, that requires so much invest, a huge number of patients, very complex studies 
so there's some confusion in and around that. And the other real piece is that I see cannabis as an adaptogenic herb. And for those who want to Google something, Google cannabis and homeostasis. It's very much involved in homeostasis and homeostatic properties of cannabis, which is why I feel so good. Again, from a clinical perspective, if somebody has pain, a sleep issue or anxiety, and it's not perfect for any of those, but that that can be a really good option for many patients on a number of different levels. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Jake. I learned so much, so many clinical pearls. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.